With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to Talking Trotters. My name is Alistair Sledge. I am very new and a little scared. And welcome to whatever this is. we begin tonight's show with the display of the team in pre-season. If results were taken into a league table, as of the 23rd of July, Bolton are 21st. Every team that is below us have played fewer games, and the only team not to have won a game yet is Leeds. They are bottom. But with members of their travelling fan base probably being held in a prison outside Frankfurt, I imagine it's the least of their concerns. The top team is MK Dons, who have, thanks to split friendlies, managed to beat two teams, 6-0 and 12-0, in one afternoon. League One newcomers Preston North End and Bristol City are third and eighth, respectively. Rotherham are second, which isn't really surprising considering the teams they've played against. However, they've done it all with Owen Garvin on trial, which makes it quite an impressive feat. We have the lowest goal difference of any team in the league, on minus three, conceding the most goals too, just behind Nottingham Forest. On the brighter side, we are 14th for the number of goals scored. Middlesbrough are bottom of the table, having scored only one goal in their one friendly, a 1-0 victory over York City, in which Alex Baptiste broke his leg under the challenge of a trialist. And unlike some of you, I don't find this funny. Meh, cue the vine of Zach Galifianakis laughing in the hangover. So somewhere in that flood of unreliable stats is a reason to be concerned. I understand that comparing games like QPR's 1-0 defeat to Monaco and MK Dons' 12-0 victory against Buckingham Athletic is fundamentally stupid, but it is clear that the team is not up to speed, which is worrying, as our last two seasons have had cripplingly slow starts. Most of the teams we have played look more prepared than we are, with better control of the game, and most of those fixtures end up with them winning. The sluggishness of our Morecambe performance epitomises it, especially as it was a close-to-first-team line-up, losing and conceding lazy goals to a League 2 side. After that game, I sulked around for a bit before my dad's frustrating compulsion to look on the bright side made him say, it's only pre-season. My problem with that is that it can only go so far, although he may be basing that on my weak defence of my exam scores when I said, they're only mocks. Scariest of all was that if Ream isn't match-ready come the start of the season, the back four that started against Morecambe could easily play against Derby County. Just as I was about to get on Twitter and declare the end of days, we played Oldham and the world suddenly didn't seem so dark anymore. I started to notice the joy in things again. Stephen Dobby turns out to be quite a good player. Everyone had to hide their disappointment when he wasn't crap, and he in fact ended up being one of the most interesting things to come out of the friendlies. He has been playing well, scoring once and always posing a threat. 
He was once a very dangerous striker, but since coming into English football, hasn't found the same prolific form. I still think he would be a good addition to the team, as do many others now, having scored 27 from 127 championship games, a ratio which is similar to that of previous strikers like Ngog, Mason and Jukovic which is now somehow the highest honour we can bestow upon someone. Not only that, but I wake up every morning and say a little prayer to Atheist Jesus, thanking him for the fact that he isn't David Dunn. We've seen Derek Asadi go from legend to villain to legend again in the space of a week. His first two games were good performances, but to be honest I was so blind with excitement that as long as he didn't two-foot Zach Clough or try to jump on top of a trialist and squeeze him to death, I would have considered the games a promising success. Besides, from past experience, the last Nigerian player to sign on a free transfer from a big club had a good run. Then Morgan happened, and despite being a centre-back, he played the most magnificent, beautiful through ball to play in Paul Mullin, the goal that cost us the match. Guess he shouldn't spend too much time mulling over his mistake. Lennon said that he could bounce back, and bounce back he did. Against Oldham, he was cool, calm and collected. He dealt with everything that came his way, especially corners, and seemed comfortable playing with Devite, which was surprising considering that we didn't think that either of them would have the capability to lead a defence. Ben Amos, a signing I would have killed a man for, has been most celebrated for his achievements in the field of shouting at people after goals have been conceding so far. It's understandable really as Tvardic, who has been playing at wing-back, looks like he's won his place in the team on the back of a cereal box. I think he's supposed to be a midfielder, but I genuinely can't tell what the kid is up to. However, the search for a cover keeper may have finished before it's even begun, with Ross Fitzsimmons being very impressive between the sticks. Rob Hall is linked with an NK Don's loan move after his second impressive spell at the end of last season. At one point, it was believed that a £400,000 bid had been made, which would have been a £50,000 loss. Some fans took to Twitter to question who the new number 11 was in the Scunthorpe game, but he was actually still Rob Hall, just with a shaven head. That pretty much sums up how memorable his time has been here, as fans can't even tell whether it's him after he's had a haircut. The money saved on his wages, if he does leave, is probably going to fund a move for Laurie Wilson. Reports from Scotland suggest that Bolton have had a bid rejected for Celtic's FA Ambrose. He is a 6 foot 4 inch monster of a man who can play as a defensive midfielder, a centre back or a right back. He is good in the air and was a standout performer in the famous Barcelona game. He can also dribble and distribute the ball well. He likes to get forward. However, apparently, he can be a liability. He has around two years left on his contract at Celtic after Lennon brought him into the club and negotiated a new deal to keep him there. Finally in transfer news, Bolton have been linked with Francesco Pisano. The 29-year-old right-back has just been released by Cagliari after making 250 appearances for the club and scoring once. He is a rapid and experienced fullback. The story has been reported by the Sara de Negra Sports, which is the Mediterranean's answer to the Bolton news. He isn't injury-prone, but has done some damage to his foot and tibia. The other club in pursuit of his signature is QPR, one of the richest and most powerful teams in the league this season. If the Bolton board can offer a better deal to Pisano than Tony Fernandez who owns an airline and will also have cash to burn from the sale of Charlie Austin, then it'll be nothing short of a miracle. Darren Prattley is now the club captain. This is one of those headlines that you never think you're going to see in your lifetime, 
because the idea would have been considered crazy for the last four years if you ignore the last seven months. Obviously, congratulations to him. He has looked like a completely different player since Lennon took charge, and hopefully he can lead the team to great things next year. I also hope he continues to kick off and go for the jugular on field, as that would probably make Lennon look less mental in comparison as he freaks out on the touchline. We'll be right back. Welcome back. On Sunday, Fulham's young starlet Patrick Roberts signed for Manchester City for £12 million. City's perception of value seems so augmented that if they participated in the Burger King advert, I imagine they'd think the meal cost 30 quid. Then again, when you're the prince of a country that's pretty much a real estate developer's dream, you're allowed to splash the cash now and then. In regards to Bolton, this could be seen as promising, as if Clough does decide to leave in January, then we will probably get a handsome fee. Then again, if he does go, so too does a third of our triumvirate of the future of the club. Maybe the fee will cover the cost of fans suing Gartside for inflicting of emotional distress, because if there is anything that guy needs more than a hope in hell, it's another lawsuit. There has never been a better time to be young and English in football. The stadium, the Etihad, including the cost of conversions, cost the Manchester Council £69 million, the same as the combined transfer fees City paid for Delph, Roberts and Sterling. The only difference between the stadium and the players is that they aren't going to force their way out of the club by claiming to have diarrhoea or try to prove that there is still loyalty in football by leaving in the same week. In other news, an 11-month investigation with 27 witnesses is ending, revealing that racist, anti-Semitic, sexist and homophobic texts were sent by Malky Mackay and Ian Moody, but the FA isn't going to do anything about it. Now, you may be worried about the fact that I'm a 16-year-old white kid about to talk about race, and you haven't even worked out whether you like this show or not yet, but this is something that needs to be talked about. From the FA's record of charging people, it seems as though it's acceptable to racially abuse people through phones behind closed doors, but on the pitch or in front of a camera, it's a serious offence. David Whelan, who broke his leg in an FA Cup final, made similar comments in an interview and got banned for six weeks and fined £50,000. It eventually forced him to step down as chairman. Miraculously, his grandson is just as detestable with his god-awful Twitter page. David Whelan, who, believe it or not, broke his leg in an FA Cup final, appointed Malky Mackay as manager in November and said that he had been tipped off that Mackay wouldn't face charges. He then made a ham-fisted attempt to justify the racist comments and thus began his fall from grace. There are far too many examples of racial abuse from players on the pitch too, from the top of the pyramid with Luis Suarez and John Terry to the bottom with Jamie Reddington of the Belfry Football Club, who was fined £75. I find over-the-top political correctness frustrating. It gets my goat when people bend over backwards to find remarks offensive. The Twitter outrage machine, which tears people down in social justice warrior witch hunts for bad jokes, is a system that I would happily take a sledgehammer to. Essentially, it's a case of, I was not present at the event and therefore have no understanding of the context or atmosphere of the incident, but I can say, kind of, that if I was there, I imagine I would have been outraged and offended. In this case, however, there is no nuance. There are no layers to be explored. It was a man, who might not be a racist, saying racist things. 
When comedians are told to kill themselves because of jokes in poor taste, that is stupid. When managers get away with being openly sexist, homophobic, racist and anti-Semitic to subordinates and colleagues and gets away with it, that is equally, if not more, stupid. He defended himself by explaining that he was under a lot of stress, which makes no sense really. Being racist when you're under stress is a lame excuse. When your career hangs in the balance of a few games and is dependent on results, a natural response is not to suddenly see people of different sexualities or genders as inferior. The only example I can find is stress-induced rudeness, which means that people use normally suppressed swear words more often. Therefore, it suggests that he has been suppressing racist thoughts, and while understressed, has vocalised them in a way that he wouldn't have done in any other situation. In fact, the most credited links in psychology between racism and stress is racist abuse and post-traumatic stress disorder. Racism-induced stress exists. Stress-induced racism is bullshit. I believe in consequence-free speech. Say what you like, but be prepared for the backlash. In this case, the backlash should be being fined and or suspended for breaking the rules of the FA. But it isn't. If anything, the FA should charge him for impersonating a football professional after his awful stint at Wigan. I guess the only punishment he'll receive is his self-inflicted unemployability. The FA has a rule that communications expressed privately are not subject to disciplinary action, which is the legal equivalent of sticking your fingers in your ears, burying your head in some sand and screaming la 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 I can't hear you. This was a communication between two employees sharing racist views that would have affected the running of the football club. An FA statement explained that the text must indicate a culture in which acts of a discriminatory nature may have taken place to warrant being charged. To me, the biggest indicator of a culture which could allow discriminatory action to take place is the lack of sanctions for spouting racial slurs. If you don't think that it is serious, try using racist language to your co-workers and see if the excuse that they were private communications holds up in front of human resources. If the FA don't have the balls to link a potentially discriminatory atmosphere in the workplace, with Mackay saying to a player that he bets he'd love to have a go on his agent's falsies, then the rulebook is broken. Besides, maybe the FA don't feel they need to protect people with vaginas anyway, because they're acting like a bunch of pussies. And now, this. As the new season of football approaches, it is easy to get swept away in the excitement. But please, spare a thought for one man who needs your help. Adam is trapped in a backwards land, Wales, with no game time or hope. Would you be there to explain to his children why he is trapped in a reserve side, despite having been one of the best strikers in the championship? So whip out your Christmas spirit five months early and give a little to hashtag FreeAlf's GoFundMe page. Just a £500,000 donation could get Adam a place in the best club in the world and out of the squalor he currently has to cope with. If we don't dig deep, he may be forced to fall further down the football ladder, signing for a different Northern club. Maybe Nottingham Forest. He doesn't bear thinking about. Will you be the one to tell his wife? Adam's wings are clipped as a bluebird. Free him, and make him a wanderer. 
donate today. Thank you. Finally tonight, Adam LaFondra. The easiest three words to bring a Reading fan to tears. Hashtag Free Alf has attracted some serious media attention since he declared the end of his Cardiff career, and I don't mind. Personally, I believe that if fans are to be embarrassed by anything, it would be the debt, rather than the sarcastic pointing out of the debt. If you believe that the fund will reach the £500,000 target, then you're probably the kind of person that sees almost violently optimistic and sat through the entirety of The Phantom Menace and said, meh, it was alright. However, the campaign cannot fail. When the target isn't reached, the money will go to charity, and fans throwing money at the prospect of his return can only show the guy that he has a place here. To quote Adam, It's brilliant. I just thought it was really impressive and touching. It's flattering to see things like that, that they care so much that they want to bring me into Bolton. The campaign was taken down by the admins of GoFundMe, however it has since resurfaced and the total currently stands at £730 with a thousand shares on social media. Unfortunately, I'm not confident that he'll return. It seems too good to be true, especially when there are richer teams in the league that could easily outgun us in any negotiation. He even said, Bolton is a possibility, yes but I think they're in a lot of financial problems. It's reported that they're in a lot of debt. I'm sure they would love to have me back there with what I did last season for them, but I'm sure there are other clubs as well which could show me a possibility too. It's been one of the most exciting transfer stories since Craig Dawson spotted in Bolton's Morrisons. It feels like we are desperately trying to pr- prove to our distant father that we are worth his time, and this is just a £700 macaroni and glitter glue painting. Do we need him? It can't hurt. We are in no position to be refusing a striker that scored a goal every two games last time he donned the white shirt. Will it come through? I don't know. But look at how fast I can ride my bike with no hands. All right, that's our show. My thanks to Chris and Dan for this opportunity. The lads will be back with the regular Love Pod next week. I've been Alistair Sledge. Any and all hate mail can be directed to at Alistair3141 on Twitter. I will be back in August with the beginning of a brand new series. Thanks for listening. Good night. Good night.